Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net. We cover movies, games, television, hardware, pop culture, travel entertainment, and more. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael, and we are going to take a look at some of the new uh, stories for the week that are uh, the most popular, as well as uh, have some in-depth discussions on some things, including the new uh, PlayStation 5 showcase console and so on. Now, of course, as I said, you can see us at sknr.net. You can also catch me at uh, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSW-FM, just ksw.com. Follow the links and you'll catch the radio segments there. We also put them uh, simulcast on our website each Friday. We have Student Reviewed the Magazine, and we're getting ready to uh, put the September issue into uh, final layout. It's all done and ready to go, so just a matter of putting it into the final layout, and it's all set. And, of course, we have PanalCentral.com, which is the homepage for eight newspapers that uh, we contribute game reviews and other content to. So, uh, starting off, we are going to have a quick uh, mention of a couple of things. First off, Warner Brothers Home Entertainment has got the fifth season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is kind of weird to think it's been five seasons already. Uh, Blu-ray digital version includes a limited edition bonus desk with all five DC crossover episodes. So that alone is worth the price of the set. Uh, there's also the post-production theater uh, the fun moment collection, unaired scenes, and of course the gag reels. So it's got really good picture and sound quality. And the good thing about it too is I know some people haven't been able to follow the show as much episodically uh, on air, and they really like the DVD sets because that way they can, um, you know, watch them at their own schedule. And uh, you know they feel, oh no, I missed a couple of episodes, and I want to see this one here. But that resolves that problem, and it's a really nice set, and I'm glad that it is out. You'll be able to get that in stores this week. The other big release of the week is from Turtle Beach, and this is the Stealth 700. We talked about the 600 before. This is the 700 Generation 2 headset. Now, this one is for the Xbox Series X and Xbox One, so you can play it with the current one and the pending one. And it also says a note here that it is compatible with Windows 10 PCs displaying the Xbox wireless logo. Other PCs uh, running Windows 10 may require an adapter, which is a separate purchase. However, the set is wireless and it sells for $149.95. You can get that at various retailers. Turtle Beach also offers a three uh, interest free payment plan at $50 a shot, so you can uh, basically get it that way if you wish to do it as well. But if you're looking to get some superior and very affordable wireless um, audio, this is a good way to do it. Now, one of the things, it's not available yet for the Xbox, but it will be very, very soon, is the Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War Alpha, which uh, during the PlayStation 5 showcase uh, was originally supposed to be only for those who pre-ordered the game and then the announcement dropped that it was going to be available for everybody so there's a, a couple of modes I've got a, a, a other than the standard deathmatch there's been the domination modes in 
Armada, which I've really enjoyed, which is uh, the boats and everything. So why don't we open it up, Justin? Why don't you give us your opinions on this, and then we'll uh, get Michael's. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's uh, uh, an interesting development. Um, I'm here to learn a little bit more about it. And uh, Michael, your take? Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. Well, a couple of reasons I think it's good that they opened it up for people who didn't pre-order it is one, it gives folks who are on the fence about pre-ordering it gets them a little bit more excited about the release. You know, we kind of talked about um, how uh, you know the the you know the reveals that we've seen looked outstanding, and it maybe gave people an opportunity to really kind of get pumped about it. Uh, I, I know these kind of games, although this one does seem to be a lot more refreshing than pre some of the previous installments. Um, people kind of get fatigued on some of these games occasionally, and I think it's a good opportunity when when folks are allowed to, to play the alpha um, in multiplayer, kind of get them hyped about it and excited about it. So that's obviously I think a, a benefit um, to the studio as well as you know Sony and as well as um, you know people who want to want to play it and get some hands-on time with it. The other thing which I think is we kind of forget about, um, and I think is one of the bigger reasons for these multiplayer you know demos and alphas and, and that kind of thing is to test the you know the server the servers to see how robust they are verify that they were not they're not seeing a lot of lags adjust some of the things they need to adjust prior to things going live you know we've seen in the past where sometimes these things are not vetted well enough and there are issues with people being able to log in and, and play on day one or they have server issues or they have other problems so it's a good way to kind of test that robustness identify potential problems and address those things for day one uh, release so again it's a benefit because we get all get the opportunity to play with it you know play you know a bit with it and kind of get some exposure to the maps and things but really it kind of helps the developers and the test team and everybody else from a, a release perspective ensure that they're ready for day one and you know for all this you know we talked about how we hadn't heard much about it um, and then over the past couple of weeks we've got to see the the, the announcements but also the multiplayer um, gameplay footage and also some of the uh, new maps and things that are going to be coming out and then now with the alpha so it's kind of funny how we went for so long without any news and now we're kind of going one right after the other boom 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 knocking it out um, because the release date is you know close another a little over a month away um, so yeah I think it's going to give you know people a taste of what it's like and, and get them excited for it and maybe you know get some pre-order additional pre-orders in uh, at the same time yeah, I've struggled with the first-person shooters on a controller because I'm so used to playing them with a mouse and a keyboard. But what I did get to play was fun. I had to basically move away from the standard deathmatch because that wasn't going as well as I had hoped for me. But uh, getting a shotgun and moving to things like Armada and the other domination mode worked out great because I could hop on a jet ski, I could hop on a snowmobile, I had one where I got a tank and I was rolling through blasting the people that were stuck in their bunkers and uh, we had teammates hopping on the tank and manning machine guns, stuff like that, uh, gunboats running zip lines. So it definitely, I think, is gonna be really uh, varied. And one of the interesting things too, we talked about some of the modes, it showed clearly before the servers went online to play, I was able to get into the main menu, and it clearly showed, you know, a war zone, a multiplayer mode, a war zone mode, and a zombies mode. So you could see how it's broken down, such as like the current one, Call of Duty Black, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. They have one segment which is the campaign, one segment which is the multiplayer, 
one segment, which is uh, Warzone, and then you have the other one, which is the co-op play and that sort of thing. So you can see they're following that pattern, and I'm really, really curious to see what they end up doing with the final thing. Now, in the larger picture, gentlemen, we had the console uh, news come out. We got the pricing, the long-sought-after pricing uh, for the PlayStation 5 systems, and the absolute chaos when the pre-orders were supposed to go online the next day, but many retailers jumped them that evening without warning, which created an absolute chaotic free-for-all. There have been a lot of claims that bots were coming in and buying up the um, allotment that companies were not making uh, purchasers stay with the one console per customer and they allowed people to buy multiples, that sort of thing. I had to spend ooh better part of hour and a half, two hours, repeatedly trying to get something from a cart to the checkout, but I was able to do that and get one reserved. So uh, we'll start with you, Michael. What's your take on what they uh, said price-wise, availability-wise, and uh, with the pre-order process? Yeah, so I think price-wise they fell in line with exactly what we thought they would as far as uh, matching Microsoft. The question was whether they intended to do that or if the price was intended to be higher, but they decided they needed to match that to be competitive. Uh, but I think, you know, the 499 price point is a good price point, I think, for most people. Uh, again, those who want to stick with the disc version, uh, 399 for the discless version. Um, but you're getting, you know, the same console minus the, the HD or the, the 4K Blu-ray player um, in that mix. So all in all, I think you know, price-wise, they're they're certainly competitive. I think both console makers are uh, going to lose quite a bit of money on the consoles, but again, they usually do. Most of the money, you know, the sales come from the software and and the subscription services and those kinds of things. So I don't think that's too much of a surprise. You know, I've heard a couple of different things about the pre-order, um, and we saw a similar problem with the pre-orders for the new Nvidia cards. Uh, with bots and and you know the systems you know the sales systems not being set up to prevent bots um, with scalpers going in and purchasing 20 30 40 systems and then trying to sell them on eBay or whatever at, at a higher price I've heard things that one of the reasons they didn't provide um, the, the the time that they were going to and they did it right after the show was to limit the amount of bot activity that could be utilized to uh, purchase the systems um, that's one of the one of the complaints that Nvidia got was that you know they allowed everybody time to set up and, and they knew exactly when things were going to go on sale, so the bots were set up. Uh, but again, it doesn't take you know a lot of folks are already preparing for that. It doesn't take a lot to get those things going, uh, and it's it's kind of sad and unfortunate that we're kind of in the situation now where you know people are are looking to make you know a quick buck on these things, and, and the other thing about that is you know a lot of people are impatient so they're going to pay those higher prices and a lot of scalpers know that so that's why they're doing what they're doing uh, so it's, it's it's a situation I think that unfortunately in this day and age is something that we even a couple of years ago this wasn't as big of an issue um, and clearly they they weren't prepared for it to be as big of an issue and I think there's gonna be a lot of lessons learned uh, coming out of these kind of launches in the future um, which sadly will make probably the pre-order and the buying process more difficult but at the same time would be more fair across the board and you're always going to have those people who say well you know i want to buy four of them because i've got it you know christmas coming up and i'm buying one for my kids and for my grandkids and, and yada yada and those are obviously reasonable expectations but at the same time that 
kind of makes it difficult for them to distinguish who are buying these for a markup sale and who are not. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are going to be complaining. I, I know there's been a lot of stuff going around about availability with Sony saying we're going to have plenty, we're going to be flying systems in, uh, we're going to have plenty for release for Christmas. Uh, and then there's the other folks in the industry that are, you know, saying no, they're going to there's going to be shortages. The expectation is if you haven't pre-ordered one, you're not going to get an opportunity probably until next year. So we'll kind of wait and see. Um, but I think as far as the uh, the system goes, obviously it, we I don't think we anybody had any concerns that it would sell quickly. We don't really know what those numbers are as far as the pre-orders versus what they're going to be able to um, get people, you know, get in the hands of people. Um, I, it kind of takes you back to when you know Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 launched, and you'd go and you'd you know be driving around, and there would be people standing out line, you know, in line at Best Buy for two or three days prior to the release, uh, maybe up to a week in advance to get their hands on one of these systems too. So it's you know it's kind of the world we live in these days. I think patience pays off, but I know a lot of people are anxious to get these you know the day one and get their hands on them. So, you know, I don't think it's totally unexpected the way things went. I, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are, are angry about the availability and not being able to get their hands on them. But at the end of the day, I don't think this is an unexpected thing. And, and hopefully they can deal with the bot situation later. But for now, it is what it is. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, so uh, starting off with the price point, you know, like Michael said, I think we kind of expected the $500 price point. I think that's uh, was kind of just the across the board expectation just right um you know not too surprising uh it isn't too high it isn't isn't lo like lower than we expected you know it's right there um the the thing that's sort of i think is a little surprising is i think they're i think this is the first time they're both launching at the same price um yeah i went back and checked the xbox one and the playstation 4 uh the playstation 4 was quite a bit cheaper um than the Xbox One at launch, um, which I, I you know I think that was one thing that can definitely contributed to its success. Uh, that and it's the um, the launch window, and then obviously the the amount of exclusives that uh, Sony was able to to push on their system um, definitely helped the PlayStation over time. Uh, now that they're they're both basically launching at the exact same price. Um, you know, I wonder if there's going to be a little bit more of an even field for like the first year or so um, in terms of competitiveness um, between these two consoles. Uh, I think it's really mostly going to come down to uh, which exclusives uh, they're able to negotiate. Um, one thing that's interesting to me, though, is that the only real difference price wise is in the, the lower tier version of both consoles. Uh, both consoles are launching with a you know a normal version and then a a more affordable version. Uh, in this case, the Xbox more affordable version, the Xbox Series S, is actually uh, considerably cheaper than the uh, the digital version of the PlayStation Five. Um, the Series X launches at a uh, hundred dollars under, uh, actually sorry, two hundred dollars under the Series X, uh, while the uh, digital version is $100 under the um, the normal PlayStation 5. Uh, but, you know, there's also considerations that the digital version of the PlayStation 5 is, uh, I think, effectively the exact same uh, hardware. It's just missing, like Michael said, it's just missing that uh, 4K, 4K Blu-ray player. 
while the Series X is um, just a, a weaker machine than the Series X. Uh, it just has, um, you know, a lower clock speed on its, on a CPU, uh, less memory. Uh, you know, it, it's just going to be a slower device, um, which, you know, I, I also have always wondered because the, that philosophy has come up before, um, in terms of like, uh, launching different sort of, uh, versions of consoles. And it's always kind of, I've always wondered how that works from a development standpoint. Uh, I, I, I think adding uh, complexity in, in terms of the amount of systems that a game has to run on, I think could uh, could make it a little bit more difficult to develop a, a title for, for a console because you basically have to say, um, if you release a game on this Xbox, uh, the new Xbox console, uh, it would be kind of difficult to go to marketing and basically say you have to have the Series X in order to play this game uh, if your game is only designed for the, the higher tier of hardware. So those are just my kind of brief thoughts on on the pricing. Um, as far as like the the pre-order uh, fiasco, you know, uh, on, on one hand, I, I do think that this is sort of expected. It happens pretty much every time uh, these consoles launch. They, they go out of, uh, you know, they, they, they run out of stock very quickly uh, and people end up having to wait. Um, I do think that it was a little bit of a strategic error to not limit it to one per person this time, just because I have to imagine that, um, you know, with what's going with the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world, that that's, that has had a, a, an effect on the production of the console. I know that Sony has said multiple times that they're not really too worried about the amount of consoles that they're producing, uh, and that there's going to be plenty of PlayStation fives. But I mean, the, the production issues uh, from earlier in the year, that, I mean, that affected pretty much every industry. So th- I, mean, I don't think there's any possibility that the that the production of the PlayStation 5 was not affected, at least in some part, by the pandemic. So I think, you know, given that unprecedented times, I, I think it probably would have been a little bit better, um, a little bit more strategic if they l- limited the, the, uh, the pre-orders to one per person just to avoid that, that scalping issue uh, that we're obviously going to see. But uh, like Michael said, you know, if patience is key, and I think this is something that will likely be resolved relatively soon. I mean, uh, launch window is, is still a relatively short amount of time. It's only like within a few months, and uh, I, I, would, I would guess into the new year there's, there's going to be plenty of PlayStation 5s. They, these companies usually have a pretty good supply chain and they, they're able to to resolve these issues pretty quickly. So I'm not too concerned about that. I think a big part of it too is you have to remember this is all about building up the hype. And one of the best ways to do that is to have the product sell out really fast and to have people you know, pestering the retailers for, can I put a pre-order down for the next, for the resupply, can I put a deposit in? Amazon's got the email notifications up that will email you when it's back in stock. Now, there was somebody at uh, GameStop, I believe now, again, this is, you know, heard it from someone who heard it from someone, but someone on Facebook was posting a way that they had talked to somebody at um, GameStop and that they assured them that this was going to be released in waves. This was not their... um, full allotment of pre-orders and that what they did was they basically did this to take care of the chaotic situations they knew that would happen they will adjust their uh, policies and the pre-order 
and that between now and launch you will see other opportunities for pre-order to come up and uh, you know kind of it was kind of one of these things where various companies are told you got a thousand you have five thousand you have ten thousand so what on and so forth oh you sold all of yours out in an hour okay well here's another thousand for you but you can't put it up for another two weeks or that sort of thing and i think another thing to remember is that this tuesday at 10 o'clock microsoft is going to put their consoles up on sale now they've been using the chaos of the sony situation to take advantage of uh, saying ours is going to be more orderly ours is going to have this there are people saying right but are we going to see the uh the demand i'm i'm really curious to see which one people are going to go for are they all going to jump on the 499 one or are you going to see people jumping for the 299 one and go from there it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but i think in the grand scheme of things it's good news for consumers because at least it gives them something to look forward to and i just uh, i feel bad for the people that missed out uh because you're already seeing them on ebay for over a thousand dollars and it's like you know when you're posting your pre-order to verify it i thought there was something about you couldn't list product unless you physically had it in hand that used to be a long-standing um thing but i guess they're now looking the other way with pre-orders and at that point i know it's such a big place and sony can't really patrol it but you almost have to think that might be the time for people to come in and say hey you know if um if Disney can come out and go after season pass holders and revoke their season passes for selling merchandise online for a profit, um, you know, you have to wonder. But I guess in the in the grand scheme, it's probably considered too much of an effort for uh, the results, and it just does build up hype. So we will see. Now, speaking of hype, and Justin, you're going to uh, lead us off with this one. We had the season two trailer for The Mandalorian finally arrived this week. We'd speculated that we might see it a week or two earlier at the time that the Star Wars celebration was supposed to happen. There were reports that Disney didn't like the trailer and that they made him do, make a new one. Who knows? Bottom line is we have the new trailer. What did you think? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pretty excited. I think hype is a is a good term for it. Um, I I mean just like anybody else, I, I did really enjoy the the first season quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, I where where I'm slightly mixed. And it's just going to be a very light criticism. Um, I've always kind of enjoyed uh, TV shows that have kind of like a solid uh, narrative to them, um, and the first season had a little bit of an underpinning of a of a uh of a story that was interconnected um and it sort of uh you know came to a head towards the end of it but a lot of the episodes from the first season were very standalone um which uh i totally respect and i i definitely uh i i can see the merits of that format but um i was kind of hoping that um it would sort of um start laying the groundwork for a uh a more kind of standard plot uh or yeah basically a standard plot that would kind of carry the full story forward from episode to episode um that being said you know the the second season definitely looks like exactly what i uh what i wanted um you know in in that in that regard so it seems like it's very much focused on a a solid story of returning the 
the child to the Jedi. And I think, you know, introducing the Jedi again, I think is, uh, you know, um, I've had friends that uh, have expressed, you know, uh, some frustration that, you know, every Star Wars story ends up having to have Jedi in it. And I can kind of, um, I can kind of see the merits of that, that uh, I think the Mandalorian was, uh, was the opportunity to kind of tell a very unique Star Wars story that didn't necessarily have to have Jedi in it. Uh, I can see that, but, you know, at the same time, you know, the Jedi, the Force, and those things are such critical, important elements to the Star Wars franchise that, you know, I, I think you can only take a story so far in a Star Wars franchise without including those elements. Um, I think just inevitably they're, they're going to show up again just because, you know, th- those are like the keystone themes, the keystone elements of the franchise that uh, really set Star Wars apart from, you know, other science fiction franchises. So, uh, I, I don't really buy into that criticism so much. I think that the, the Jedi were always going to be a part of the story, especially because, uh, it was very evident in the first season very early on in the first season that the, uh, the child, um, was going to, uh, going to be kind of like the key plot point, uh, the plot driving point of the story. So, um, I'm, I'm pleased to see that, you know, it's starting to shape up into a, into a kind of like a uh, episode to episode story, um, kind of of an overarching plot, uh, you know, centered on you know returning the child to the Jedi. I think that's a, a very intriguing premise, uh, especially because I think that the first season did such a great job laying the groundwork for the setting and making you know the characters uh, very believable and, and enjoyable. Um, if there's anything that the first season did, I think very well i think that's it i think it uh did an absolutely excellent job laying the groundwork kind of getting us introduced to this this period in this area of the galaxy within the star wars franchise so that they can tell that uh kind of compelling story that uh, i think they probably had in mind and i'm guessing that this story arc is probably going to carry us through several seasons i mean it that's sort of the format of a lot of shows their their first uh first season is a little bit more kind of um serialized in terms of like episode to episode is each one is kind of their own self encased story so that they kind of just get everybody introduced to the, the characters and what the world is like. And then, you know, your seasons two through five or whatever are, uh, more of like the, the overarching plot that kind of carries the whole uh, series forward. So that's my guess. Um, you know, I saw people kind of, um, and I, I think my, my first initial reaction uh, was similar where people questioning, uh, why is it that, uh, you know, the Jedi are now myths again, uh, so soon after, you know, they were kind of just an arm of the Republic at one point, which, you know, I I think is somewhat of a valid point, but, you know, I've had other people kind of, uh, bring up that the, you know, the galaxy is a large place, uh, and, you know, the, the empire spent its entire time, you know, essentially wiping the the collective memory of of everybody about who the jedi were or what even you know happened during the republic so i can see that Uh, i can see that this is kind of an area of the galaxy that maybe never had even seen a jedi before so they don't know what they are so it's much easier for those stories about them to kind of recede into myth and i think it kind of adds to the uh to the the mystery of it that um you know the 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 audience obviously know who the jedi are uh, but the characters in the show do not. And so I can think that adds kind of an interesting level of depth, um, that, you know, these, 
these uh, these characters that we know some something about are so mysterious to the characters in the series. So I'm excited. It looks great, um, and uh, I cannot wait to see it. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, no, I agree, and I I think it's interesting as well that the first season was kind of based on the Mandalorian. You know, we kind of saw some of the jobs he had to do. Uh, the child became a pivotal character but it wasn't really the focus um he just kind of was tasked to quote unquote babysit him while he was doing his other jobs and in this one it definitely seems like the child is going to be more of the main character focus you know we you know for those who were talking about you know bringing jedi into it i think that was kind of a foregone conclusion knowing that the the child had force powers um so i i don't think it was too much of a shock that they were gonna they were gonna bring in um, the Jedi and kind of feature in that, and I also don't think it's too un- unusual that they wouldn't know much about the Jedi, uh, because even Luke and and you know in the beginning of Episode Four um, wasn't all that familiar with the Force and with the Jedi, and that was even before you know that took place even before this, so the fact that there would still be you know some folks that hadn't heard of them or, or thought they were still um, mythical or just weren't you know all that familiar with that um, in the galaxy doesn't seem too much of a stretch to me I think it would have been more of a stretch uh, following like uh, you know episode one or episode two where the Jedi were a lot more uh, upfront and visible a lot had a lot more focus uh, but where we where we stand here I, I just don't think it's that unbelievable to think that maybe there was just not as much focus on them uh, again with the Empire working to you know, wipe out the existence of them, and and probably many folks in this universe never actually encountering one uh, personally. Uh, so again, I, I think that's I think it's kind of good that we kind of keep them mystical. I think even if you were to go back to um, the earlier episode one, episode two, there were still probably a lot of folks in the Republic outside those that were involved in the Clone Wars that didn't necessarily ever encounter one personally. Um, so again, understanding what who they were and then understanding what they could do, I think would be two different things. Um, but all in all, I think it definitely looked amazing. Uh, the production value still seems, ex- you know, extraordinary based on you know the first season. You know, we we get to see how they continue um, that production value. Uh, I think it's going to be really. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they progress the storyline with the child and and the Mandalorian's relationship in general and just getting more of that backstory in that in that world so all in all i'm pretty excited and pretty hyped about it i think they're gonna um it looks like it's gonna do fantastic based on what we've seen um and it seems to carry on that tradition that the first one started and hopefully brings you know more life and and hope back into the star wars franchise as a whole yeah i definitely think it's going to be very exciting they've talked about having five seasons of the show planned uh we're just now getting into season two so i think there's definitely going to be a lot of stuff uh ahead not to mention the fact we've got the obi-wan series coming the cassian andor series coming there are a lot of rumors for what else may follow so very very exciting time in the star wars universe uh other things of note i wanted to mention before we wrap everything up today is that uh slowly slowly but surely we're starting to see some positive signs Uh, in the world of tourism and industry. And a lot of people are expecting uh, 
Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm to announce reopening dates soon. There have uh, been a lot of talk in the news this week about various guidelines and when are they going to be announced. Uh, Disney World's come out and said so far they've not seen a single trace of infection related to uh Disney World or their related properties. So with that, we're starting to see more and more happening. For example, Knott's Berry Farm uh, does have their hotel open now. And since they aren't able to do Knott's Scary Farm this year, they are at least giving people something really interesting. And I know I think I've mentioned this to you, Michael, but this sounds like a pretty uh, big event. And I uh, have to mention ahead of time, it is very limited admission must wear a mask, must do the spacing, that sort of thing like they've done for the fall taste. But they have something called the Halloween, and it uh, taste of Halloween. they're gonna have the Halloween decor up, they're gonna have all these Halloween treats and uh, food items, and it's going to run Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays uh, from next weekend, September 25th through November 1st. So essentially, the dates that Not Scary Farm was gonna run, if I'm uh, not mistaken, usually next Thursday is when we head down Either, you know, some years Genevieve and I go, some years Michael goes. This is when they go down to um, experience it. It runs from 12 to 9, and here's how it works. So um, you buy a tasting card for $35. Children get one for $20. Uh, there is tax included. If you do have an annual pass, you do get a discount off that. But you must have a tasting card to go in. And the events run from either 12 to 8 or 12 to 9. Uh, depending it's usually 12 to 9 Friday and Saturday 12 to 8 on Sundays and what you do is you go into various areas of the park and each one of the cards is good for five tastings now obviously you can pick up more and it allows you to get all sorts of things and these are not small portions and these are not like a donut and a churro they do have those things but these are uh, very uh, fancy uh, to simple foods like you can get uh you know just off the top of the head I'll, I'll read a few off to you guys here um and you go through various parts of the park which are going to be decorated with uh, halloween decorations i've heard rumors that there might be some spaced entertainment available but you can get something anything from butternut squash soup and a bread bowl or you can get the perilous pizza with you know buffalo chicken boysenberry smoothies pumpkin spice crumble bars you know chili chicken drumsticks and this goes all the way down you can get uh, you know they have it looks like well over a hundred different items uh, that they can have here and the beauty of this is as they did the fall showcase they had it spaced out people to mask you had your own little areas to dine in uh, you could come in and do it really quick or you can come in and make a day of it and this has been a very popular event they have packages available with the hotel well, just the other day, I also got news that uh, SeaWorld is returning some of their staff. One of my main reps had been on a furlough, and they wrote and said, nope, they're back on a part-time basis now as they ramp up, waiting for the go-ahead. But they are starting events. In fact, I believe they started them this weekend. And what they are doing is a tasting event, uh, barbecue and brew, that sort of thing. And they've told us that um, they've got a plan going on right now where uh, – with the annual passes they are going to be good through the rest of this year and all of next year the various passes uh range in benefits but they all have free parking unlimited missions you can get like if you get the deluxe one you can get off up to 50 percent off your purchases and stuff in the park but what is interesting about it is that 
they are going to be doing Halloween and Christmas themed events. Now we understand that things like the shark area and the enclosed areas are not going to be accessible, but the open air stuff is going to be accessible. It will again be limited um, capacity. You're gonna have to wear masks, you're gonna have to space, you're gonna have to follow the guidelines, but the parks that have opened and done this, it has um, worked well and they've talked about new menu items like caramel and chocolate dipped apples, caramel corn, uh, cocktails and stuff for the adults. And of course they said, they're, you know, you've got the Halloween traditions, you've got the Christmas traditions. So yes, you may not be able to get the full bells and whistles and go on all the rides, but you can go in, see some of the animals, see some of the um, decor, see some of the entertainment and uh, sample the food and do a little bit of shopping. So uh, Michael, you start us off, what do you think? Well, I, I continue to like that they're still doing, finding unique ways to kind of still have the, some attractions, still bring in people, still bring in um, business because, you know, all those companies still need that business to, you know, maintain that same quality and, and be able to function properly. Particularly when we're talking about places like Knott's Berry Farm that doesn't have the capital behind it like Disney and that they're giving their, you know, they're still identifying ways to make this, make it special um, even though, you know, they can't have their, their not scary farm, um, attractions and they can't do some of that. They're still bringing in, you know, ideas with the tasting and keep allowing people to be socially distant and continue to have some events going on. So I think that that's, you know, I think it's critical now and, and hopefully by next Halloween, things will, have, you know, settle down significantly. But I think it's important that we're, they're coming up with ideas that they can still provide a, a, a provide a benefit to the community, to their employees, um, to the park as a whole, and but also um, come up with creative ways to make things interesting and unique for those folks. So I'm excited that they're doing this. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of get out and still enjoy the Halloween season, even though it's gonna be a little bit lackluster this year than previous years, and still have that opportunity to really experience it to some degree. So I think it's a, you know, it's a great opportunity. I really like that they're coming up with these creative ways to bring people in and to do different things and justin your take please yeah you know i agree i think that um it's it's just basically making the best of a of a very unprecedented situation you know everybody's kind of kind of doing this where um you know it's got to be very difficult to uh try to work around this to come up with new rules where you can kind of safely operate um but also provide the the service that uh, people expect so i think they've kind of found a creative way to to do that in our unprecedented times uh obviously it's not going to be quite the same as as usual but you know i think that's totally understandable and i think you know they've done a good job coming up with a with a way to to approach their their normal operations um in a very creative way uh, that, that's also engaging. But uh, like Michael said, I, I hope, you know, next next Halloween things can be a little bit more normal and uh, come be back to, to the usual uh, annual event that we, we come to expect. Yeah, and I know that's going to be crazy because I was joking about that going, uh, when travel and conventions can resume, I expect to have a pretty full schedule. And it's going to be tough because I know the first time we can all do it, there's going to be the temptation to add in all these things. I've already had a couple of conventions that I don't uh, haven't covered at uh, 
before say hey we'd like to consider having you come next year we have our cruise that had to be delayed from this october to next year and you know i i'm sitting there and there's that part of me going wow disney universal knott's berry farm and SeaWorld all having Halloween stuff. This is going to be fun, but of course we have to, you know, divide up the coverage because trying to go to all four places uh, and do the cruise would be a bit tricky. But I think the question right now is uh, the safety factor. It looks like they're going over and above uh, what the requirements are, and I think it's just uh, going to be interesting because you're going to have a a group of people who say, "Oh, thank goodness, I've got something to do. I'm going," and then you're going to have people that might you know, take a wait and see attitude, but I think uh, the reduced capacity does help with that. So we shall see. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us this week. Covered a lot of ground as always. And until next week, stay safe and hopefully you have a better week ahead. Take care. Bye-bye.